HealthWise. Sarah, are you ready? I think so. Are you pumped up? I'm pumped. Are you ready to pump up the jam? No. Like that song from Technotronic, Pump Up the Jam? No. Let's pump pump it up. Let's not. For them. All right. Well, hello, everyone. This is Thomas Coyer from the HealthWise Report, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 22. Yeah. And I'm joined here by my lovely assistant, Miss Sarah Kane. Hey, everyone. My lovely assistant. What do you think? I'm joined here by my How helper. How about I announce it and I call you the assistant? <laughs> well, we're going to start this episode off a little bit differently this time. We're not going to talk about health topics. In a way, it, it kind of trickles down into the nation's topic. health. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's a little off the beaten track for us and off the beaten track for most people. But it's a very, very important topic. And if you're one of those people who looks at the world around you out there saying, what the heck is going on? Why is everything crumbling down? Everything's falling apart. Why is everything falling apart? Why is everyone losing their job? Why is every company dying? Why are we in crazy world all of a sudden? Well, this show should help you a little bit. This show is going to go into some issues involving the how and why things are happening the way they're happening. Because this show isn't just about giving you information and research. This show, like our site, is also about being wise. Yeah, hence the name, HealthWise. HealthWise, yes. This will be the Emotional Intelligence Show. At the root of all this madness that's going on now, that you know you see when you look out... Every time you leave your house, right, or turn the TV on? Yeah. There are some dark, satanic, I'll say, religions that have a large influence on our society now. Mm-hmm. But in this particular show... I don't think we're going to be talking about the religion specifically. I think we will in the future. There are a lot of people who have talked about it and who have gone into this topic very well of the other religions. One of them is William, otherwise known as Bill Cooper. Mm -hmm. Who lost his life for it. Yeah. Bill Cooper, if I can just, before I go on, before you go on that is, I want to mention that Bill Cooper was a true American patriot. He's somebody who used to be in the intelligence community who went public with what he knew about what was going on. And that's something you don't do, because when you do go public with what you've learned being an intelligence agent, you tend to have lots of accidents. Well, one of his accidents was when a truck appeared out of nowhere and mowed him down on his motorcycle. He survived, but he lost a leg. Later on, 
in the middle of the night, I don't remember, some holiday like Thanksgiving or something. He was at home by himself. He had already sent his family overseas because he was concerned about their safety. He had a radio show and everything. Well, they served a warrant on him in the middle of the night, which is something you just don't do. And then they ended up shooting and killing him to sheriff's deputies, who, by the way, were also Freemasons, coincidentally. And these two Masonic police officers apparently needed to shoot him in the back in self-defense. You can think about that for a minute. They had to shoot him in the back multiple times in self-defense. And also, at the time, the officers were proclaiming that you know he was running into his house to get a gun. But well, we're talking about a one-legged man. So how is he running? Yeah. Um, how is it they couldn't catch up with him, the one-legged man, in the middle of the night, in the middle of his yard, that they were supposedly serving this bogus warrant for? So they got Cooper. He's someone that, if you've never heard of him, you need to check him out. One thing I have to warn you about Cooper, he's similar to that other guy, David Ick. Yeah. They both said some really flaky things. I'm not really sure why David Ick has said some of the flaky things that he said, but he's someone you also need to check into because even though he does some flaky things once in a while and says some crazy things, he's also dead on about understanding the religions at play that are influencing things, the secret societies, these mystery religions. He knows all about them, and he can explain why things are happening the way they are. And he's got quite a following. Yeah, yeah, he does. But um, Cooper did too. And Cooper's audio shows about the different mystery religions are still available online. Yeah, well, they're on the torrents. If anybody wants to find those old audio shows, we can help you out. We've got copies of them. In regards to the flaky stuff that both men have said, in addition to the really good stuff, the hard-hitting stuff that intelligence people know, the reason why they said this crazy stuff, at least in the case of Cooper, because Cooper said this somewhere. David Icke hasn't really said this, but Cooper did. He said he's got to destroy his own credibility to some degree. In every book he writes, he's got to put something that's out there, like they've had contact from UFOs, space aliens, you know, crazy stuff in every book he writes, so they won't kill him. See, as long as he's got something crazy in the book or in his stuff, mainly in his book, which is Behold a Pale Horse, by the way, they won't come after him because he'll cut off enough of his audience that they won't see him as a threat, that he's given them the ammunition that they need as, like, a gift. Well, you just have to do what you have to do, I guess, you know, to try to survive and get the message out to those in the know who know that the whole UFO thing was just, if I can be so bold, a turd in the punch bowl. It was put there intentionally so that he could keep spreading his message. And his message was an important one. And, you know, if you go back and listen to these shows and the information that he gave, Mm -hmm. a lot of it can't be found elsewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess we should move on, Sarah. Continue along. Yeah. Well, this is going to be something of a psychological show, so I think it would help if we both gave you some background about us. I learned about sociopaths at a fairly young age because I grew up in multiple abusive environments, and after leaving those, I needed to research into sociopaths and sociopathology to really understand what had happened to understand the way those people acted, everything that was really going on in their head, to understand how they worked, what made them tick. Because it was always a part of yourself, wasn't there, that was in doubt, like, was it my fault? Did I do something? Did I cause this to happen to me, right? Yeah, exactly. 
the victim's mentality, almost like the Stockholm Syndrome, where you know you thought maybe they were the innocent people, you yeah. were the bad person the because that had been beaten into you, right? Sure, yeah. And I think I need to kind of share some of my knowledge about sociopaths with the audience, about what a sociopath really is. Because while they are the abusers, they are in high positions in our society. Always. That's, that's the position that they seek. They seek these positions of power mm-hmm. and it's control. It's all about power, isn't it? That's the only thing that really matters to them. Now, a sociopath is somebody with a very limited range of emotion. They experience anger and rage and, and especially jealousy. But other than those three, there's very little else they feel. They certainly don't feel guilt. And they don't have the ability to empathize with other people's emotions. You see, if you don't have emotions yourself, you can't see or understand how somebody else is feeling and react to that. You can't empathize. Being a sociopath is an emotional disorder in the truest sense. Because your emotions are different as a sociopath. And when I say it's an emotional disorder, it's kind of a unique case. It's a lack of emotion. They're almost machine-like in their inability to feel or to empathize with the feelings of other people. So, in the case of a sociopath, and I'm trying to describe this to people so you'll understand, because most people haven't really studied these people much. A lot of shrinks even haven't. I mean, you know, let's face it. When you have a real sociopath, the people around them are meaningless people. What gives people meaning is the fact that you feel for them, and you can understand and empathize with their feelings for you and their feelings about other things as well. So, with the way you socialize with those around you, with friends and family, you can think of it as sort of like a spider web, a web with different connection points. Like, I'm connected to this person who's connected to this person and that person. And if this person's a friend of my friend, then they're my friend too, because I value my friend's feelings, and so forth. And so, same way with family members and so forth. With a sociopath, people around them, they don't have these connections to. They have about the same amount of empathy for their daughter, son, wife, husband, whatever, as they do for their dog, their cat, their hamster. People around them don't have feelings to be valued because they can't understand that because they don't have a, the feeling in themselves to understand that. They, they really can't even grasp it. So people are treated as pets, as, as property, because everything is a matter of their property. When somebody disobeys them... It's on the same level as when they have a malfunctioning computer or a car that doesn't work right. It's suddenly something's broken down, it isn't working right, and darn it, it better get fixed. That's their attitude. It's just like that. And that's when the rage comes out. Yeah, and in fact, it's often even more extreme than that. You see, they see all these different people, these connections, as an extension of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, it's not just like an object, a random piece of property. It's a part of yourself that's no longer working. Mm -hmm. And that's just... You're connected to. Yeah, maddening. For a sociopath, when you have a a relative or friend who will not listen to you, will not obey your will, it's as maddening to them as if they had an arm or a leg that was out of control. just drives them mad, and the rage comes out. And so... Whenever somebody does something that's really close to them, like a spouse, for instance, it goes to an even deeper level because that person is attached more. They're more their property, essentially. And so jealousy tends to be one of their biggest emotions. They're driven by this power drive, jealousy and rage. What's incredible is that very few people can see it. You You might see it if you're up and close to that person, if you're a relative or something. Of course, it's going to be pretty easy to identify sociopathic tendencies. And this is no hiding it from you. 
But if you're someone out in the community, a friend or a more distant relative, you're going to think that is the best guy around. He is an ace guy. He is wonderful because he takes care of his family. He manages it. He's in total control of everything, including himself. That's the way they appear because sociopaths are always, and I do mean always, master manipulators. The thing is, because they don't experience many emotions themselves, and emotions, let's face it, they do cloud the thought somewhat. You know, they conflict with rationality a lot of times. That's just the way emotions work. And so when somebody like a sociopath sees an emotional person, they see that person as being weak and thus controllable. They use that person's emotions to control them. Yes, they do. They learn to exploit emotion because of that power drive. It's that very power drive is the reason why sociopaths tend to rise up in leadership positions. It's all about the power. That's why you have so many politicians without scruples, so many high-up church leaders without scruples, so many people in the educational system without scruples, and in governmental positions everywhere. And even lawyers and so forth. Lawyers and so forth. Lawyers pretty much are almost always sociopaths. You're hard-pressed to find one who isn't. Well, they're able to maintain control over other people, in large part because they are able to create the illusion that they have more control over themselves, that they have their emotions under control and can react more rationally. It's not that. It's They're not able to feel the emotions in the first place as part of it. The second part is they've learned to mask the emotions that they do have, which is part of the whole power drive. And if you're going to manipulate people, you have to learn to control your rage. You have to learn to push their buttons, not explode on them like a drill sergeant. Because exploding on them like a drill sergeant is very counterproductive. So a sociopath's rage is less likely to be seen by the public, even though he has so much more of it than you know an average person. They tend to be in very good control of their demeanor, their persona, that they show to the outside world, the mask that they wear. The thing is, is nobody ever really knows these people, because they're so busy putting on this show. No one can really get that close mm-hmm. to them, yeah. And, and I know that happened in your personal case. When you finally tried to run away and go public with the stuff that was happening to you and your family, nobody believed you. You were the bad guy. For how dare you accuse someone like your dad of doing something improper? I was like, how dare you, Sarah? Which is just adding insult to injury. It's like kicking the person once they're down, the abused person. He did such a good job of playing the public, and to some degree for a long time, playing you off. And I know how it is, Sarah, because you wanted deep down to believe it was you. I can understand that when you you know, care about a parent or something. You don't want to believe that they're evil. It's painful to reach that turning point in your life to where you say, we don't just have a misunderstanding here. We don't just have a clash of personality here. I have a parent who is evil. I have to turn away, run, and never look back. That's a huge leap to make. Yeah. And most people never do. And that's why they never escape the cycle. Because they end up not being able to escape from that, accepting that they're bad, that they're fundamentally flawed. And then they go seeking those same traits in their spouse later on. Like, for in the case of a woman, she'll look for a husband who's just as abusive. Yeah, because still emotionally trapped in that situation. She's trapped in that situation of thinking, I'm bad, I deserve it, and if he beats me, it's because he loves me. He's trying to straighten me out. What's even more incredible is that this progressed to the point to where the woman will actually actively encourage the abuse. She'll find ways to push the guy's buttons. 
what the women will do a lot of cases, they'll either find a guy that's already abusive enough, or they'll find a non-abusive guy and train him. She'll learn over a period of years how to push his buttons and it'll get worse. Try to make him abusive. To make him like her father. A process that's called enabling. It's called enabling, yeah. It's like a codependency thing that forms. Before you know it, you've got another abusive situation all over again. And, and everybody asking, especially all the experts, why does the cycle repeat? Yeah. Well, it repeats because the cycle is made to repeat. You know, at some unconscious level. That's why. And then, of course, the children are affected and... It just gets uglier and uglier over time. Yeah. We sort of digress here. But I'm glad we said some of this, though. I think we made some important points that maybe will help people understand what we're coming to. Some of you out there who know us well, who've been listening in long enough and reading our work long enough, will know that I spent my high school years in a military academy. To be specific, it was a place called Oak Ridge Military Academy. Because, of course, I was such a bad, rebellious troublemaker. What that really translates to is I had very authoritarian parents who were, may I say it, sociopathic. You see, it was all about the control and about the power, and they could never have enough. I'm going to tell you, I was a good kid. I was a very good kid. I had people coming up to me, Sarah, saying, you know, I'd like for someone like you to date my daughter. I mean, that's how good I was, how squeaky clean I was. That wasn't good enough, of course, because there was no good enough with the sociopath. Yeah. Being the youngest member of the family and also the most likely one to talk back, I was a problem to be dealt with. And after, you know, not being able to beat me into enough submission while growing up, at one point they decided he's going to military school. And I remember they were gloating about it, like, you'll be marching and you'll, and I hate to use this phrase, it's so rednecky, but you'll be walking the chalk line there and you'll be doing this and We can't wait to see you at the school in your uniform being pushed around like a robot. It wasn't because I did criminal things. It wasn't because I'd failed out in school, stolen a car. No, they wanted to see me marching like a robot, obediently. They actually came out and said that. They also said that one of the main reasons I was going was because they wanted to get me away from my friends. They actually didn't want me to have friends. Because my friends were an erosion to their power. Yeah. So, off to military school I went. And while there, there were a lot of paradoxes at the military school. One of the paradoxes was that we lived, breathed, every moment of the day, it seemed, and had a complete class on this every single day of the week, ROTC and leadership. They made it clear that you would learn about leadership as long as you were at the military academy. You would know it backwards and forwards. You would study leaders. You would study uh, generals. You would memorize the rules of leadership, what makes a good leader versus what makes a bad leader, and so forth. The kids there came from sociopathic families. So the place was full of sociopaths. Yeah. It was this big paradox because sociopathology and leadership are almost opposites on the spectrum. Leadership is the ability to inspire others to follow you. It's not about blind obedience and fear. Leadership, you lead by example. And people just instinctively, naturally follow Follow you you. Mm -hmm. because you're the kind of person who is a leader. They want to follow you. They follow you by choice, and they know it. Sociopathology is the exact opposite. It's about manipulating others. It's about toying with their emotions, pushing their buttons, making them afraid to defy you. So manipulation and leadership, so they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I was studying leadership for four years, obsessively, 
while being surrounded by a bunch of sociopaths. <laughs> so it was quite an interesting paradoxical situation. And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but to make my point about the difference between sociopathology and leadership, let me give you a, a quick list. Let me give you the list that is used by ROTC departments. The first one is a sense of justice. The second one is to have good judgment. Next one is to be decisive in your decisions. The next one is to have integrity. The next one is dependability, followed by tact, having initiative, being enthusiastic, having the right bearing, being selfless, having courage, being knowledgeable, having loyalty, and having endurance. These are, these are great virtues to have. If everybody had all these virtues, what a great world this would be. Yeah. Be a world full of leaders, too. <laughs> okay? These are the kind of people I follow. These are the kind of people you follow, whether you realize it or not. Just instinctively. Just instinctively. You know, these are people with the right traits. You would look up to this person and follow them. It's quite the opposite of manipulation, of sociopathology. Let's just say my experience at the military academy was very educational as far as being a sociopath and being a leader. You can see the contrast. I've been called both at times, by the way, Sarah. You know, I've been <laughs> called all kinds of things. Okay, But I do try to be a leader. Sometimes I fail, but I try. Finally, I graduated. We did the big parade thing, shot the cannons. You know, I was out of there. Yay! No more sociopaths for me. Oh, boy, was I wrong. I was so wrong. I didn't know till I got to college what it was like out there. I was in this little military encampment for four years. Yeah. And finally I was free, and well, was I in for a shock? Now, I got to college, and I'm not going to mention the college. I have so little respect for this school that I'm not going to mention them. It's like it never happened. A typical, typical liberal college nowadays. If you weren't a communist, a who denied the existence of God, then you were bad, and they would fail you. And they actually did alter my grades after I left. They actually went in. They hated me so much that they actually altered my grades after I left. They hated me so much they called me Hitler, including the staff, the staff, the, the professors. Weren't you obedient enough? I, I don't guess so. I mean, anyway. I did learn a few things while there. I learned that there's been some changes in psychology. I know psychology, not only from the military school, but it's something that I personally took to study on my own. And I know certain aspects, certain areas backwards and forwards. For instance, like the work of Dr. Carl Jung, who's been demeaned so much, by the way. He's been associated with all kinds of New Age occult stuff, and he would just be livid if he could come back and face these people. He'd, he'd strangle them. Okay? Yeah. He was a Christian man. I've studied the work of Jung and some of his contemporaries. I know how it was done back in the day, old school psychology. Psychology that actually worked and cured people. It's kind of like medicine in that regard. It was kind of like before the FDA, AMA, and the Rockefeller Foundation took over, medicine was actually there to cure people and help them. Yes. Now it's to treat symptoms and manage disease. To create perpetual so, customers. Yeah, to create perpetual drug addicts. That's what the industry is about now. It's kind of like that with psychology in their new age of, you know, era of drugs and changes. But it's much more insidious than that. I don't need to go into the whole drug thing that's going on now, trying to get everyone drugged with psychiatric medicines. We've 
Got a movie, in fact, we're doing about that. There's something really surprising I learned about New Age psychology, the changes that have taken place. I learned this at college. One of the things I learned in college about the changes that are taking place in psychology was a new branch of institutional psychology. Before I go into that, let me tell you what standard psychology is, what it was meant to be, how it was created as a science. The goal of psychology was to help a person over whatever issues he had mentally, emotionally, so that he could return to a happy, functioning life again, to get at whatever was holding him back, whatever he was repressing or dealing with. So he could be healthy. That that was crippling him. It was destroying his life. Whether that be, you know, some kind of delusional disorder or whether he's having some kind of repressive issue that's giving him nightmares and so forth. Something was holding him back from having a healthy, happy life. So the job of the therapist was to deal with that individual on a one-to-one basis to find out what his problem was and find a solution to it. That's a very noble, noble way to make a living. Yeah. It's not like that anymore, at least a lot of the cases. Now we have what's known as institutional psychology as opposed to individual psychology. And it's just the opposite. It's dark and it's evil. If you're an institutional psychologist, your job is not to help an individual or a group of individuals. Your job is to work for a governmental agency or a corporation. And what you do on a regular basis is analyze complaints and issues from employees and complaints and issues from your customers. And your job is to tell the high management how to best manipulate them, those people, how to, quote, eliminate those problems, unquote. Whatever evil the company is doing or agency is doing, their job is to try to mitigate the responsibility for their actions. They work closely together with sales and marketing people, institutional psychologists do. And that's their job, to figure out how to play games with people. So in other words, they use their knowledge of psychology to manipulate people into do, buying or doing what they want. Yeah. It's, it's like the whole difference between manipulation and leadership, Sarah. It's exactly the same way. And what these guys are, are they're sociopathic manipulators. Their job is to toy with people and their emotions so that they're not a problem anymore. So that they can break up whatever union is forming or whatever class action lawsuit might be forming or to suppress complaints online by dealing with these people. We've been contacted by these people from several corporations where we've complained about them online and suddenly they sent a PR lackey over. Well, in odds are, he was an institutional psychologist who has trained in how to deal with troublemakers. You people listening may have gotten contacted like that. You may have complained online or elsewhere and suddenly this guy just shows up, contacts you in some way, and he wants to discuss it with you and talk about your feelings on the matter because he's so concerned. No, he's not. He's so not concerned. But his job is to find your buttons so he can push them. So he can make you go away. So he can make you go away. And it's a travesty. An institutional psychologist is a travesty. And this whole thing with institutional psychologists is something that I learned about back in the early 90s. But it's gotten much worse since then. Well, we've gone beyond institutional psychology now into something worse and that's extremely popular. It started up in... 1995. That's when it really became popular, when a guy named Daniel Goleman wrote this, first it was a paper, and then it progressed into a large book. It was called Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. Now, what this book essentially told people, and especially companies who it was aimed at, 
was that intelligence doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how smart and creative you have a person. What you really want is somebody who's emotionally intelligent. Emotional intelligence is sociopathy. I mean, so- sociopathology, you mean? Yes. Now, they have, and I'm going to read these to you, they have four main tenets of emotional intelligence, okay? What it means to be emotionally intelligent, right? Yeah, it's all split into four, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to read these. First one, perceiving emotion accurately. Second, using emotion to facilitate cognitive activities. Three, understanding emotion. And finally, managing emotion. Managing emotion. And that was the most telling. That's what it's about. It's about managing emotions, not just your own, like we were telling you about earlier with sociopaths, but also everybody else's, because everybody else's emotions are weaknesses. Now, exploited. Yeah. Now, in a corporate setting, what these corporations are seeking is the guy who has no feelings, no conscience specifically. Yeah. And that's a big one with a sociopath. Yeah. He has no conscience. Let me throw out that this is bigger than perhaps they realize. Back when I was growing up, in the corporate world, one of the important books was The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Every manager had to read The Art of War because it was a matter of staying ahead of your competition, making sure that they didn't like steal the market from you and wipe you out. The Art of War told managers how to think like a general, how to strategize properly so that they could compete just as well as anyone else out there. But this is on a whole new level. This has gone much further than the art of war ever did. This is like the Bible of business now. Like every high-up manager has this book. It has taken the business world by storm. So if you want to understand why corporate America is the way it is, you have to understand emotional intelligence. Yeah, definitely. As I was saying, what they're really seeking is the person who has no conscience and who can rationally, i.e. with no conscience, look on everybody around him as people who are usable, controllable, and essentially try and rise up to to the top as fast as possible and succeed materially with no sort of conscience holding him back. Following the sociopathic theme and belief system that the more ruthless you are, the more successful you'll be. Yeah, exactly. Of course, these people also have a power drive, so these people also try and get themselves in that highest position possible. So So they're they're the succeeders in the company. Exactly. It's like the people who are rising up into these high positions already have some sociopathic tendencies anyway. They always do. So they get this book that says, those tendencies aren't a problem. They're, They're what make you so great. It's like the book tells them what they want to hear. They latch right onto it. It becomes like their Bible. Yeah. How to live and how to manage. The, the book has been described as Machiavellian, too. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the new Prince. The Prince book from yeah. Machiavelli, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. There have been very few people or groups that have come out and said, this whole thing is evil. It's amazing how many articles you can read online and on newspapers about just how great this new emotional intelligence is and what it's doing for companies. Okay? What it's doing for companies. Yeah. About how it's making them be successful. But they're not. No. We're having like the most unsuccessful period in history. I know, everything America. is falling apart. And, As, and, and it's there's like too the more they embrace this stuff, the more they destroy their own companies. Yeah. In much the same way a sociopath would eventually destroy his own family, and they do. Yes. <laughs> exactly. They look great to the outside world until that very last point when they all just fall apart. Everything crumbles. And then people say, what happened? I mean, it was being led by such a great man. What a great family man so-and-so was. How did his family fall apart? I just don't understand it. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, and that's kind of what is happening like with the country and heck the world at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, I had to look around really hard to try and find somebody who was saying, hey, maybe this isn't so great after all. And I found an article in Magazine Today, sorry, Management Today. They were talking about the, quote, dark side of emotional intelligence. Uh, Not like there's a... <laughs> And like there's a light side to it, right? Yeah. And there's a couple of professors by the Mays Business School in Texas. And they said, there may be a dark side to emotional intelligence, one that can be used to manipulate, spin, intimidate, and generally bend others to one's will. But that ignores something. And that's the fact that there isn't a dark side to emotional intelligence because there is no light side. That is the very intent of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. is to find somebody who knows how mm. to manipulate to s- and spend people. To survive in business, it's survival of the fittest. Yeah. That is the, the basic lesson of the book. It's evolutionary business. Nowadays, there seems to be a very growing, loud, communistic segment of our society, a Marxist segment. And you look around, and they've got lots of ammunition. Lots of ammunition, particularly from these emotionally intelligent business leaders to make capitalism look bad. And they do. And even intelligent, otherwise wise Americans are now starting to question capitalism. And the problem is, for capitalism to work, it needs to be rooted in a moral code. And because America was, throughout most of its history, so rooted in a Christian code of morality, America grew faster, richer, more powerful than any other country in the world and did it in a span of time which is like the blink of an eye in world history, 200 years. It's amazing. It should be considered a miracle what America did, what it became. It had lots of growing pains along the way, but Americans have reason to be very proud of their heritage, and now it's all falling apart. It's not falling apart because we're using a broken banking system It's not falling apart because of governmental regulations. It's falling apart because the basic Christian code that glued this country together and kept people in check is gone. We're dying because we're not a Christian country, because we've lost those blessings, because people don't have a moral compass anymore, because they're so freaking emotionally intelligent now. And as far as I'm concerned, it's it's like just the opposite of intelligence. Because emotional intelligence does not actually lead to success in the long term. What it does is it leads to your destruction and the destruction of everyone around you eventually. Everything you work for. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the opposite of being intelligent. It's certainly the opposite of being wise. Well, they're actually testing for emotional intelligence now. In these big corporations and even small ones, they're actually testing their lower and management level employees to make sure that they don't have a conscience. They're yeah. Actually filtering out people who have I've morality. actually seen some of those tests. And you don't think that you'd run into this, but everybody is running into it. They just don't know they're running into it. I know these exist at regular retailers. You go in, you do their little application thing. You know, a lot of times now, you don't even have paperwork. They put you at some little computer. They have like a computer just for new employees yeah. to fill out their electronic paperwork on. That's what the companies have now. I remember filling one out. The questions were so crazy. You could usually tell from a psychological test what they're shooting at, what they're not. And I saw one, the pattern just seemed totally insane. I remember one particular question. 
If you saw an employee stealing from you, what would you do? I had the usual options like tell your boss, call the cops, tell him to put it back, or do nothing. And I don't remember where I looked this up at, somewhere online, but the correct answer was do nothing. If you see another employee stealing, that was an emotional intelligence test. It was there to determine if you had a conscience, and if you did, you were disqualified for employment. It's the same thing for managers and companies now. And the trouble is, is you have both the tests. The managers, it's a double whammy because you have both the tests and stuff that are designed by the institutional psychologists to keep out people who don't have the so-called emotional intelligence. But on top of that, if you make it past the test, you'll be weeded out by your sociopathic managers who are looking for people who are just like them. Yeah. Because people who are just like them are people who are predictable. People like them are the people who are looking out for number one, above all. Yeah, I can't believe that they're actually testing now to make sure that you don't have a conscience. And it's like, is there any wonder that all these companies are failing or falling apart when they're hiring people who they know ahead of time can't be trusted? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the first thing they need to do is fire their institutional psychologists. And the next thing after that is they need to have a big book burning for that emotional intelligence book. What was it called again? Um. I want people to... Be able to look at this themselves, this new version of The Prince, this new Machiavellian book. Yeah, it was called Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ by mm-hmm. Daniel Goleman. So you guys can look this up and see that we're not exaggerating about any of this. And check around online and see how big this is. You'll see we're not exaggerating about that no, either. It's huge. You'll see it all over the different business sites and stuff about mm-hmm. how to succeed. You just have to get these employees that, that don't have any conscience. Because they don't spell it out like that. Well, they just need to be really emotionally yeah, it's, it's intelligent. It's a new paradigm of success. For you to be successful, everyone else, including your coworkers around you, have to fail. Yeah. That's as opposed to you being a leader and uplifting everyone. Yeah. Rising to the top and pulling others up with you. Working together, leading the team. Inspiring them to do better and better. Of course, in other countries, they still have corporations with leaders that inspire their employees. And that's why they're kicking our butts. China's sort of a special case because they're slaves. They have their adult slaves, the child slaves. When you've got a slave labor force, it doesn't matter how you treat them or whether you have leadership or not. They're going to do the job. Unless they want to starve to death. Yeah. You've got to love that China, right? Yeah. Anyway, let's move on, Sarah. Okay. Please check us out and read our reports at the HealthWise Report website. You can find us on the internet at healthwise.org. Take special note that WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We spell it W-Y-Z-E to emphasize wisdom. We are a not-for-profit organization, although we are not registered as a not-for-profit, non-profit, or any other classification with any governmental agency. Nevertheless, we are a non-profit organization, so we're always needing donors to help us to continue our work, whether it be the equipment for these radio shows, our website and network infrastructure, various fees for our movie productions, and of course, the occasional video game to help us maintain our sanity through it all. If you are someone who cannot donate, or who does not wish to, you can also support us by visiting our online store. That can also be found at healthwise.org, and again, WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We have to be careful about what claims we make about our products, including claims that can be verified, because we know of at least one governmental agency that would like to shut us down. We can tell you that in our opinion, our colloidal copper lotion has qualities that cannot be found in any other lotion sold, anywhere else. So, if you have joint or skin problems of any kind, we recommend that you check out our lotion. The HealthWise Report staff also offers hosting, networking, and technical support for anyone who wants to have their own website or assistance with internet technologies. 
Our technical skills place us among the best of the best. Thanks for listening to this. We'll go back to the show now. What are we getting to next? Well, this is going to be kind of like a mellowed out topic com- comparison, I guess. Do tell. Alright. I'm going to talk about HCG. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Alright. Where is the real HCG, Sarah? Where is it? I've looked. Yes, I know. They did have HCG available by prescription, but HCG has been recalled all over the place. We wrote a full article uh-huh. about... This is one of those cases, like like a broken clock, where the FDA got something right twice that day, <laughs> right? They yeah. went after HCG and MMS, right? Exactly, yeah. Now you see these... Yay, H- FDA. You see these Sorry. HCG packages, like at places like Walmart and big retailers... They don't actually contain any HCG. And you'll see on the front, they're like, hormone-free. Well, HCG stands for the name of the hormone that it's supposed to contain. So it's like diet stuff minus the stuff, right? Yeah. And so, so it's, we looked it's... On, the, on the back of one of these packages, and it's a list of amino acids, and it's like the, the whole thing only adds up to like a minuscule amount of amino acids. And that's all that's in there. In the retail stores. Now... By the hydroxycut, which, by the way, isn't hydroxycut anymore. Yeah, they had to reformulate that because it caused such liver damage. But it's like, somebody like me, hey, anybody, I think, could go out and look at the hydroxycut ingredients and realize that they're going to cause more problems. The hydroxycut ingredients now are a bunch of stimulants, and they contain noradrenaline, which constricts the blood vessels at the same time as stimulating. Yeah, I mean, you could do it safer and better by just simply buying caffeine pills. Yeah, exactly. Because caffeine is the main ingredient. Like, in the case of HCG and hydroxycut, there's no hydroxycut in the hydroxycut anymore. There's no HCG in the HCG anymore. For a while, they were selling the homeopathic, and we had a heyday laughing about that one, because basically it's the whole memory water thing. They they say that if anything's ever come in contact with that water, if even after it's extracted from the water, no matter how much it's diluted down, the water will remember the special molecules. Okay, This, this is how supposedly homeopathic medicine works, and that's what they were selling quote, homeopathic, unquote, HCG, which really means there's no HCG in it either. You know, we got a lot of homeopaths that were mad afterwards because we missed out an apparently crucial part of homeopathy, you see. Not only (laughs) when you've got this water, it has to be shaken. Yeah, we forgot the important shaking stage that reactivates the molecules. That's what spreads this this memory throughout the water. And I just had to add that for all the homeopaths listening so that now we haven't left that out. That really makes it scientific. Yeah, it's just like we go to the retailers, we can't believe what we see on the shelves. When you think about it, Sarah, all HCG solutions are homeopathic HCG because if that fluid, that water, ever came in contact with HCG inside a woman, you know, her hormones... At any point in the history of the world, then that water will remember you know, the HCG, and all you have to do is shake it to get the HCG back. And I'm sure it's been shaken by the time I actually got to the store anyway. It's yeah. been shaken quite a bit in its yeah. package. Well, we had a joke that if you could get some homeopathic medicine, some fluid, that you could take a computer microphone and record the sound of the water, save it to a WAV file, you know, a sound file, and then you could just email that out to people. And then all they have to do is replay it back to another glass of water, shake it, of course, and they could, you know, cure themselves, right? Yeah. What's funny is we get people mad at us. We had lots of emails, hateful emails, like, how dare you put down homeopathy? Yes. The pharaohs were using it. Well, the pharaohs were also using urine therapy. They were drinking their own urine, you know, for health. And that's another thing these, these fruits usually tend to promote. Yeah. Like, 
Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Yeah, but the ACG, it's like... Yeah. I can't one, of them, can... one of them got mad and then, then told us he was a big writer for Natural News. Yes. And we were like, why doesn't that surprise us? <laughs> you remember that? Yes. I'm sorry, I'm getting so off topic here. These people just amaze me, Sarah. Yeah. But HCG is not HCG anymore, and Hydroxyco is not Hydroxyco anymore. W- wasn't it, like, totally banned? Yeah. Like, you can't was- even get it for the prescription anymore? Well, the, I mean, they pulled it off, and then they completely reformulated it until the FDA said, okay, you can put it back. But, I mean... I'm can- talking about prescription-based HCG, though. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it, like, pulled because it was hurting people? Uh, yeah. And it, they completely reformulated it, yeah. An even funnier aspect to the whole HCG thing is that they got in trouble. They got banned... Because even the solutions that did have HCG in them were dangerous. You know, the non-homeopathic ones that didn't have to be shaken. Yeah. The ones that really did have HCG were banned because it was so damaging to people, particularly their livers, if I recall correctly. So the word got out. People like us mocked it, laughed about it, sent the word out, do not take this garbage. In fact, we generally recommend against all diet products because they're bad. They're made by very bad people. They're meant to hurt you. They're meant to make you fatter to keep you coming back from war and so forth and so forth. We singled out HCG as so many other people did. And now everybody knows. People know that HCG is bad for them. You wouldn't want it in a diet product. So now they come out with HCG that is, quote, hormone-free, unquote, which which is what Sarah was alluding to earlier. It's ridiculous. It's like HCG minus the HCG. Yeah. Because everybody knows the hormone is bad. It might as well be called generic X minus the X. There are some new shoes that are being sold now, and they're supposed to help you tone your body as you walk. They're rounded on the bottom. It's like a, one of those rocking chairs, you know, the, the bottoms of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're called shape-ups, if you actually want to look this up yourself. Because well, they shape you up, Sarah. Yes, exactly. And these things will not... I, I just want to spell this out on the show... They will not help your health in any way at all. They especially won't put, get you into shape magically as you walk. What they will do is they'll seriously damage your knees. What about mine, Sarah? My shaker pups. Because you haven't said anything to me about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they're mostly marketed to women, but I think they're actually trying to break into the male market. Yeah, yeah. Make as much money as possible. Yeah. And again, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about these shoes with these gigantic bottoms that are rounded. So that the person has to like try to do this balancing act the whole time they're walking. It's like the bottom of a rocking chair. They're so rounded. It's like at that kind of an arc. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, we went to one of the websites and it had all kinds of ridiculous claims that were just like the opposite of the truth about these shoes. Yeah. They market these things as like a health product. I'm going to move on to a topic that generally affects people in our community. And that's kidney stress that's caused by supplementing too much. Essentially, you take all these different supplements in a bid to become healthy, and you place so much of a strain on your kidneys that you actually do the opposite. So hurting your kidneys is one of the worst things that you can do. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll have diabetes-like symptoms, like extreme thirst, and what goes with that is like frequent urination. Mm-hmm. You have all these issues, you know, and we ended up dedicating an area of a diabetes article because, as I said, they were related. Yeah. You'll have uh, blood sugar problems. You'll have your blood pressure going up and down. You'll have problems with vision. You'll have problems with frequent urination with extreme urgency. Liquids will become incredibly good. You'll just drink water like a fish. 
electrolytes will get out of balance. It'll cause some confusion. It'll cause fatigue. Diabetes-like problems because your kidneys are messed up. And you can do that with supplementing too much, just like what Sarah said. So remember, take what you need, but whenever possible, get it from your diet instead. That's the way to go. Always get it from your diet. Your supplements are there to supplement your diet, not to replace it. Yeah. So remember that. And remember that the wise approach to health is doing things in moderation. So when you do things in extreme, that you, you hurt yourself, whether that's taking supplements or exercise or eating certain things. It's a matter of balance, moderation, and using your common sense. I know this can happen to you. This can happen to anybody if you overdo it. Because I know personally, I went through it myself. I guess I spent about a year or more getting myself into that situation, putting my kidneys under stress with taking just too much. They are taking supplements like they were M&Ms or something. Then suddenly my kidneys start having real problems. Yeah. And we spent a couple of weeks figuring out what the heck is going on here. I'm supposed to be as healthy as a horse with the way I'm taking care of myself. It was a real shock when I started having a physical problem. Then we figured it out, and of course it took a couple more weeks to fix the problem. Yeah. You know, we took certain herds, herbs, notice that's herb, not herb, and supplements to actually help. That may seem ironic that we took supplements to fix the damage done by supplements. But again, once we realized the problem, we reacted sensibly and did things in light moderation. A lot of people who have this situation will then start supplementing it even more to try and fix their problem. And they'll be like, because, oh my gosh, my health is falling apart. I've, I've got to take more. Yeah, exactly. You know, which is just the last thing you want to do. Yeah. So the first thing is recognizing that the problem is that you're over-supplementing and so your kidneys are under strain. Mm-hmm. And then you have to stop taking supplements that you're currently taking and instead start taking those that boost your mm-hmm. kidneys. Well, that really expresses a general rule about the kidneys. If the kidneys are acting up, having problems, the first question you should ask yourself is, what is it that I'm overdoing? Yeah. The doctor will be the first person to tell you it could be salt. And, and it could be, you know, that can actually be it, especially if it's refined bleached yeah. garbage that you get in your regular retailer, as opposed to sea salt in its natural gray, red, or whatever form that's untouched. Yeah. Even then, you don't want to overdo it. You want to get some. Yeah, no reason to go crazy, though. No crazy, yeah. yeah. Now, if you go to our diabetes article on our site, there's a section that's subtitled Kidney Stress. Mm-hmm. And under that subheading will be a list of supplements that you can take to boost your kidneys, to fix them after Mm -hmm. you have gone overboard. Of course, doing it with light moderation. Yeah. We actually give recommended amounts in this particular case because we don't want people overdoing it. Yeah. Uh, Going crazy is the problem. Yeah, Yeah. it it is. It might not be your supplements. There are other things that can cause it, but generally it's something in excess causing the problem with your kidneys, unless it's like pharmaceutically induced, which it can be. Yeah. A lot of you out there get exercise on a regular basis because you know that's the wise thing to do. And we've been told that an awful lot of you people out there listening, listen to us while you do your workout. We're like your entertainment, your infotainment. We're fine with that. Exercise is good. You need to get it. We don't get enough. We spend too much time working as opposed to exercising, sadly enough, but that's another topic. We've had really bad luck with gyms. We've been to like a dozen gyms, and there's one common pattern. Can I, can I say this? They're arses. They're arseholes. 
We're not going to come out and use the full A word, are we, Sarah? But something about gyms attract really arrogant people. Not users, but the people who make the gyms. The owners tend to be really arrogant people. I guess these were the people that couldn't make it as jerkish PE coaches at the high school (laughs) who wanted to push the kids around and scream in their faces. So what did they do? They formed a gym. Jokes aside, I think that's the way it works in a lot of cases. Yeah. Of course, we've got Military Marine Ninja at one of the local gyms, and he's pretty typical, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's not even go there. Anyway, we've noticed that gyms have a tendency to hurt their own customers. In another show, we went into great detail about this new generation of air fresheners that are going off in certain gyms, which we had in one of our gyms. They were spraying out benzene compounds. Yeah, dechlorobenzene. Dechlorobenzene which is like one of the worst things you can be breathing in. This stuff is known to cause the onset of unexpected heart attacks in healthy people. Just immediate heart attacks after breathing this stuff in. It's also known to cause asthma to such an extreme that it's like being suffocated. Imagine running your butt off on a treadmill. You're sweating, and suddenly you have a heart attack and or you can't breathe. I know I don't want to be in that position. Yeah. I don't know how many people have been in that position, but they're selling this stuff to gyms. And gyms are putting it in. We had a gym, we tried to talk to them about it, and they just thought we were crazy. Of course, we get that a lot. <laughs> but we had actual documents, verifiable documents, and from credible sources. I'm talking about, like, from the National Institutes of Health and stuff, not Earth Clinic, but real documents from, like, governmental agencies and medical agencies and so forth. They said, yeah, this stuff will give you a heart attack. Would they listen? No, they thought we were crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a pattern we're seeing at the gyms. These people just won't listen. We went to a new one recently. We should have known that we went into the new gym. It was a bad sign when they asked us to fill out legal documents and legal papers before they would let us in the door. Yeah, that was just to look around. That wasn't to sign up. That was just so we could actually look around at the gym. Yeah, we had to sign a set of liability waivers to take a tour of the gym. But Sarah was like, let's go for it anyway. So we went for it anyway. Well, they gave me the grand tour. This was before they decided to try to get us into a cubicle like a used car salesman and try to sell me on their fitness plan where they could have an instructor show me how to lift weights. And I had to listen to this for 30 minutes telling him, I don't need your help to know how to lift weights and they saw that wasn't getting them anywhere, so they tried to lock in on the women, like, who's going to train you? You know, how are you going to ride that bicycle if we're not there showing you where you put your little footsies, little lady? Before all this, we went on the big grand tour, and their biggest selling point in the weight room was their machines. Not the free weights, not the regular weights, but the machines. And what they were so proud of, and and I'm still astounded thinking back on it now, what they were so proud of was the fact that you could get on their machines and they were specifically designed so that you couldn't work your back, so that you couldn't strain your back, that your back was made immobile on these machines. The problem with people's backs and back injuries is that they don't exercise their backs enough. Yeah. It's like everything is connected to the back. Everything is connected to the back. So if you work your arms, your legs on that equipment, when you get out there and try to do real work, not silly machine work at a gym, but real work, your back is going to go almost immediately. It's like the machines are designed to hurt you, to impair you. 
the legs are connected to the thighs and so forth, or connected to the back, just like the arms, shoulders, and so forth. You, you cannot get your arms and legs in shape without the back muscles. They're all interconnected. Yeah. So the machines are, like, designed to hurt you. And we thought about it. It's like, how can they be so crazy? And then we remembered the legal liability forms that we had to fill out. That's the issue. You see, the goal was to essentially hurt their own customers for the sake of making sure that they couldn't be sued. They have their priorities. They had their priorities. So people are paying them for the privilege of messing their bodies up instead of getting them into shape at that gym. Yes. It's twisted. And a sign of the times that we live in. Well, incredibly, they told us that if we brought our 10-year-old son at night, that we'd have to leave him alone out just in front of the parking lot at the door, the entrance, while we went and worked out in the basement. We had to leave him by himself. They were okay with that. You know, that wasn't a risk to them. That was just a risk to our 10-year-old. Word to the wise, buyer beware, especially with these gems. And if you run into some of these sleazy people who tell you you need to use a machine to isolate your back so that it doesn't get hurt, they're hurting you. And we find it really despicable. Oh, yeah. And it's like, how many people out there will be able to put this together? I mean, look, we know you guys aren't dumb out there listening. You're like the cream of the crop. We have the best audience around. But let's face it. You guys don't sit around analyzing health issues all day like we do. This is our job. We do it 24-7. When we see a con like this, we recognize it immediately, usually. Yeah. So our job is to try to pass it along to you guys as best we can and help you out. Yeah. Uh, just be a paranoid shopper. Especially when it comes to gyms, because they're, like, yeah. they're just known for their we, scams. They are just terrible. It's like, think of them as used car dealers at, at your local gym. We want to thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more shows like this, go to our website and check out our audio archive. We've got more hours than you could hope to listen to. Yep. All right. right, Well, thanks for listening in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time. And we'll be back. Toodaloo.